Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you if you're new here, especially, and if you're online joining us, if you're away at a tennis tournament or a baseball tournament or something and jumping in later, uh, we're excited that you're joining us uh, today. But I want to give you just two quick announcements, kind of important things coming up in the life of our church. One is we're in this series called Day by Day, and in this series, we're going to be going through a book together. And so starting on uh, August the 12th, so this Wednesday, we're going to begin what we're calling 40 Days of Focus as a church. And so we're going to work through a devotional book together, and we're just encouraging everyone to buy it. If you're new here, I mean, this is a great way just to jump in and get to know us a little bit and kind of participate with us. But just would encourage you to buy the book. Uh, you can either do that, a digital version, it's really cheap, it's like less than a cup of coffee. You can buy a hard, uh, buy a hard copy if you want one, but go ahead and purchase that. And if you don't, if you can't afford it, let us know. Uh, we'll make sure that you get one of those. But uh, we got a Zoom call on Tuesday to kind of launch this. And so if you want to get oriented to the book and the practices and the things we're going to be doing, um, you can jump in on Tuesday night on that. And then on Wednesday, we're going, to, we're going to jump into this 40 days of focus together. So I hope that you'll participate with us in that. And then I also want to let you know next Sunday, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a break and just do a state of the church uh, time. There's a lot of things going on in life for our church. It's, uh, in some ways, I don't want to really stop and do this, but and it's just hard for us to find time to all be together. And so we're going to take time and just, we want to update you on important things going on in the life of our church. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we're in conversations about a potential building. And so I want to update you on that. We want to uh, update you on elders and our move to elders and deacons. And we've got these things that are coming up in the life of our church that we just want to make sure you know about and that you're in tune with, that you're praying for, and just update you on what God's doing and, and really just some exciting stuff as we head into the fall. So uh, that's coming up. Um, next Sunday. So I hope that you'll join us for that. And if you can't be here, I hope that you'll jump in online and be sure to stay up to date with all the information. Let me just pray for us and we're going to dive into the word real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for our salvation, that you have birthed new life in us, that you have begun the renewal work to transform us, to make us look more like him. Father, I thank you that you have not left us alone, but that when Jesus went to be with you, that he sent us a helper, your spirit that's at work in our hearts. And we just ask, Spirit, that you would work now, that you would enlighten um, our minds, that you would enliven our hearts, that you would stir us to, to walk with you and to trust you, to be people who are full of worship, full of joy, even in difficult circumstances. Father, we pray all this for your glory, and we pray it through your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, we're gonna, we've been working through this passage, and we're going to go back to that each, each week. And as we dive in there today, we're going to go back and look at this, this uh, kind of teaching of Jesus about the vine and what it looks like for us to abide in him and to draw life from him and to bear fruit for him and experience his joy in, in our lives. And so we're going to jump back in that. But there's an important doctrine in the Christian faith as we get started called, called the perseverance of the saints. And the perseverance of the saints is a, a doctrine that, that, that we don't often talk about, but it's very important for us to, to know and to understand. And what it means is that all true Christians will persevere in faith until they go to be with Jesus. Uh, that, that God's not going to let us go. That all that are drawn to him, Jesus says, I will not lose one of them. And you see this in scriptures like Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work and he will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Uh, you see this in places like Jude 24, 25. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory to his great joy to the only God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus finds great joy, believe it or not, in keeping you from stumbling and in presenting you one day to his Father as something as holy and blameless. And so Jesus promises that those who believe in him will persevere to the end. Now, that, that should be a comforting doctrine for us. That should be a balm to our soul. That should, be, that should be, give us courage in the, midst of, in the midst of a difficult season. Let me tell you why I'm, uh, why, why I'm telling you this today. See, I think there's a counterpart to the perseverance of the saints, which is called the perseverance of the ain'ts. And I think sometimes whenever we face trials and difficulties and hardship, the, the perseverance of the ain'ts kind of infects the church. And my daughter's gonna later tell me I'm not supposed to use the word ain't. And my teachers told me that too, but I think sometimes it's appropriate uh, because I think the reality is sometimes in the middle of trials, man, we just, we look around and we go, man, I, it ain't worth it. Man, it's, it ain't gonna work. It's, things aren't, ain't the way they're supposed to be. This ain't what I want it to be like. This ain't the way church ought to be. And we begin to, to kind of pull back in the middle of difficulty. And here's the problem. The perseverance of the ain'ts hinders the perseverance of the saints. And if, we aren't, if we're not careful during this COVID season, I think we have this, there, there's a danger in front of us, of us becoming so fixated on what we don't have that we don't rejoice in what we do have in Jesus. That we can become obsessed with our circumstances and really that leads to kind of a poverty or a victim mindset. We just, we notice everything, all the lack that we have, don't, that, that we have in our lives, but it really leads us to a place of cynicism, bitterness, and worry. Do you feel that temptation in your own heart as you walk through this season? That you just, you, you can become every day just kind of, kind of obsessed with what, what we don't have. And yet we have an awful lot. And so I think that ought to cause us to rejoice. And so, um, can we just admit that this time's really hard? That we need to persevere. Like there's a reason why the scriptures talk about perseverance. It's because there are difficulties in life that cause us to have to walk through hardship. And so we have to be resilient. We have to have faith and allow Christ to strengthen us and give us courage to walk through difficult times. And during that times, I think it's important for us to run to the simple, clear truths of scripture rather than running to speculation. And, and so it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to run to all kinds of ideas, but there's so many things here that God's given us that are simple, true things. And Chris was talking uh, just a little bit ago when we were back here praying before the service, and he was talking about running, and it was interesting. He, he was talking about how he, he's been running at night a lot lately, and he's got a headlamp that he puts on, and he says, you know, I realize at night I have to aim that down at the ground, and I can only see a few steps ahead, and, and that's okay. But, but I don't get to see the, the full picture. I don't get to see everything that's there. I just have to trust God for what's right in front of me. I think that's what we have to do in times of trial. See, those who, who, who I think fall into the perseverance of the ain'ts, oftentimes they run past 84 really clear, simple truths of scripture to get into something that is kind of a secondary matter. And, and it can cause us to veer off course. And that's why we're called, I think, to walk by faith, not by sight. So we have strength that I think encourages us to be strong and courageous, as it says in Joshua. And so that's what I want to encourage us in today as we think about kind of where we're going over the next couple of, uh, next couple of weeks and really months in the life of our church, in the life of our city, in the life of, of our world. Uh, friends, do you believe that in the middle of dark circumstances that we can experience joy, that we can experience God, God uh, the worship of God wholeheartedly, and that we can even advance, advance the mission of God even in this time? I think we can. Let's look at John chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 4 today. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. And this is the teaching of Jesus. And last week, as we unpacked that, that, that passage, we talked about and what does it look like for us to abide in Christ? We know, to meet, we know we're called to do that, but how do we do that? And we said there's spiritual disciplines or practices that we have to do that help us grow and learn how to abide in, in the vine, learn how to stay connected to Jesus. And last week we talked, about, we talked about prayer, silence, and solitude. This week we're gonna talk about the practices of worship and joy. And so as we come and begin to think about worship and joy, it, you see it grounded really in verse eight. He says in verse eight, uh, by this, my father is glorified. And when he talks about glorifying his father, he's talking about worship. Uh, th that's worship language. And so he's pointing us to him and talking about how we honor our heavenly father. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, you've heard, probably heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding, right? Well, th this actually says the proof is in the fruit. And so the, the, the proof is that, that when we bear much fruit, Jesus says, you'll prove that you're my disciples. That there's a, if you're connected to him, he says, in fact, you will bear much fruit. And so there's this natural progression that happens that we're supposed to grow and produce fruit when we're connected, to, when we're connected by faith to Jesus. That, that's the normal, natural, organic thing that ought to happen. Now, this ought to be important to us because Jesus says it's how we prove that we're actually following him, right? It's one of the things we talk about in the life of our church is we wanna make authentic disciples of Jesus and authentic disciples, someone who authentically believes in Jesus and seeking to follow him. And because of that, Fruit is going to come, Jesus says, in our lives. Now, you notice when he talks about one of the fruits, which is glorifying the Father, it's, it's all about worship. And really what he's saying is that worship's worth our, the investment of our life. That, that what the, who the Father is and what he's done for us ought to cause us to want to worship. Now, before you think that means that, that the spiritual life is just about you working harder and doing more and trying uh, to be more effective uh, or trying to be more moral, look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And don't you love that? That Christ talks about bearing fruit, but he immediately goes back and says, but first, you need to know the Father's loved me and I loved you. And so it's, it's past tense though. Did you notice that? He says, I have loved you. It's not like I just loved you in the past and I lost my love. No, it's something different here. What he's saying is I made a commitment to love you and my love's never gonna wane. See, oftentimes we kind of get in this kind of daisy syndrome of like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And we get in this place of thinking that, that God's love wavers based on our performance. But what Jesus says, no, I made a firm decision to love you. I have loved you. I'm not, my love's not going anywhere. My love is just as firm as the Father's love is for me. Or my love for you is just as firm as the Father's love for me. And so it's not based on our, our performance. Then you notice at the end of verse nine, he says, abide in my love. You know, that's, a, that's the strongest command he could give there. He says, abide in my love. You remain in my love. Stay in my love. Uh, kind of soak in my love. Rest in my love. Be nourished by my love. Stay present, connected to the love that I have for you. 
And so as he's talking about that, uh, it reminded me of Jude, Jude 21, which says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And see, that's a strange thing for us to think about, right? Because we think love is just kind of this emotional thing that happens. And yet what Jesus says is, I want you to firmly plant yourself within my love. And whenever you begin to waver, whenever you begin to doubt, whenever you begin to think of something else, you stay put. You remain present, stay, keep yourselves within the realm and the experience of my love. See, when we think about, um, when we think about our, our spiritual life, oftentimes we, we, we begin to think that either it doesn't matter what we do or we shift to the other direction and say, well, it only matters what we do. And really what Jesus says is, stay put in my love. And because of that, then move towards obedience. Look at me at the next verse. Jesus is gonna connect these ideas between staying present in his love and, and walking in obedience to his commands. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Isn't that interesting? Jesus puts our obedience right next to our experience of his love, that the two go hand in hand. Now, here's what you need to know is the order is really important here. Because if you get the order out of, out of balance there, you're gonna misplace the gospel. And so you have to understand that our obedience to his commands is a response to his love. It isn't the other way around. We don't, we don't obey him and try to walk by faith in order to earn his love but we walk by faith because we have his love. And so that order is really important. And I think Jesus wants us to understand that in the way he talks about that, but he connects that because our obedience ought to flow out of our experience of the love of God. That when we're connected to Jesus by faith and when we're experiencing and abiding in his love, then the natural, uh, natural response to that ought to be obedience and bearing of fruit. And so there's this progression that he shows in this, in, in this passage. And sometimes we get, uh, we get to verse 11 and we may get this a little bit out of whack, but uh, because sometimes we get joy and happiness confused, right? But, but look, look where he goes in verse 11. He says, all of this leads up to, so the worshiping of the father, the experience of his love, the obedience to his commandments, all of that points to verse 11, which says, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So all of that kind of progresses to a place of, of us experiencing his joy. Now joy is, it's a deeper experience than, than mere happiness. Happiness, I think sometimes is like that flighty fickle lover that we can't keep around. But joy is something that's deep and satisfying and sustaining even in the midst of ups and downs of life. And so look at this progression that John shows us, or Jesus shows us in John 15. He starts off verse eight, it's glorifying the father. That's worship, right? So through our worship, he says, then we abide in his love, we obey his commands, and we experience his joy. And so all of these things are interconnected and related. There's a sense of progression that ought to move us through those things. So do you guys see, the, you kind of get the picture there? So that's the theoretical, right? So you understand the theory behind that. I want us to look at a picture of kind of what this looks like in practice. And so turn to me, look over to Acts chapter 16. And we're gonna look at a picture that I think gives us a good understanding of really what this looks like in, in our lives and, and, and what potentially uh, this can, this can ha mean for us. I, I like this example because uh, it deals with people that are facing hardship. It deals with people that are experiencing isolation uh, from one another and they're experiencing circumstances that feel very much out of their control. And so as you think about their scenario, I think it relates to us. And yet finding in the middle of all that, they find a spiritual strength to remain joyful, to remain worshipful, even in the midst of all the things they're walking through. In fact, their joy is so shocking that someone else observes it and, has, and it impacts them in such a way that it changes their whole course of their life. And so let's, let's jump in here and look. And friends, I think, 
I think for, for us, as, we, as I think about this, this passage, this is, let me set it up. I think, I think it's important for us to think about what, what these guys go through and how that relates to us. So what if, what if God has us positioned exactly where he wants us? What if, what if God has us poised in a place where we get to display what our joy in Christ looks like? We get to display worship in the midst of difficulty. We get to be a bright light in a dark, in a dark world so that other people are impacted by that and maybe drawn to him. What, what if God's got you right where he wants you so that someone else might hear the gospel and be open to it for their very first time? I think it's important for us to think about. Now, let me just give you the situation. The situation is Paul and Silas are in a, in a city and as they're interacting there, a woman comes up to them and begins to speak to them and she's, uh, she's a fortune teller. She's a soothsayer. soothsayer. Yeah, can't say that word very easily. But she's a fortune teller. And in that time, they really looked at that as something that was oftentimes that they may actually be able to turn, tell, the, tell the future by some kind of a demonic influence. And so Paul, she actually is, is a slave to these other men and these men in this city force her to do this. And, and in doing so, um, they make and profit an awful lot. And so Paul and Silas get confronted by her. And when they do, uh, they, they liberate her. They free her from this demon, but also from having to answer these guys. And these guys get a little upset because you start impinging on someone's financial gain and guys tend to get a little frustrated. So these guys get upset. They throw a, they throw a fit. They bring it to the, the authorities. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story. So in verse 19, Acts 16, 19, it says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. Uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. I mean, don't you love how they, they make it an ethnic thing? They make it into this kind of cultural battle that they want to they stir the pot and make this into this conflict thing that they're, that they're bringing and saying, this is not okay in our, in our world. And the crowd attacked, uh, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And they had inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, orderly, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. So the charge was what? It was disturbing the peace, right? Now, what, what had they done to disturb the peace? They had done nothing but heal this young lady, and yet people were more concerned about their financial profit than they were about the dignity and the health and the well-being of this young lady. And so they throw a fit, and in these minds of these businessmen, they've, uh, they've brought this kind of religious cult in, and they're stirring the pot in a way that's, that's disrupting them. And so the, they would have been the, kind of this Bama seat that was raised up and they're gonna have this judgment or this um, kind of mock trial that takes place and all the people are screaming and attacking them. And so in, in the midst of that, they end up condemning them of, of disturbing the peace. And so basically what they do is they strip them and they cane them. And so this is, a, this is just a beating with canes that takes place. And then they put them in prison and they put them in stocks. Stocks were wooden holes that would have pushed their feet really far apart and made it really uncomfortable. And so this is a very painful experience that they're going through and they're in prison. And in the midst of that, and you think about what Paul and Silas had done, all they did was walk through the city and have this woman walk up and start talking to them, right? They tried to help her and here's where they find themselves. Here's the thing that unfolds. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels like a bad day to me. Like that's a no good, rotten, horrible, bad day or whatever the, I forget the whole saying, but like that's one of those days that you don't wanna relive and you don't wanna remember and you don't really wanna experience. It's a day like that that makes me start focusing on the perseverance of the ain'ts. And this ain't worth it. 
This ain't working. This is not paying off. This, this obedience thing that I'm trying to do is not leading where I thought it was gonna go. This is, this is not okay, Lord. And it starts making me think that way. Well, let's, let's watch what, how Paul and Silas respond. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoner, prisoners were listening to them. Are you serious? Like you go through that and what do you do? It's late, it's midnight, they're praying, they're singing hymns. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling and with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a wonderful thing to see? Uh, the kind of way that God worked in the middle of this situation. It's, think about Paul and Silas, though. It's nearly midnight. Like that's enough to make me grumpy right there. I'm up at midnight. Like that, that about pushes me over the edge, but they've been beaten. Uh, they've been unjustly imprisoned. They're stuck in stocks with their feet cranked apart. And, and instead of coming unraveled, what is it they're doing? It says they're praying and they're singing loudly so that all the prisoners and obviously the jailer too are listening. It's a pretty remarkable thing that happens. And here they are. I think this is an important lesson for us to learn, right? See, friends, worship will help us where worry will not. Worship will help us where worry will not. And it's an important thing for us to know. When we stop to worship, whether it's, it's a thought, whether it's a prayer, whether it's quoting a verse, whether it's stopping to sing, whenever we, we redirect our attention to the Lord away from our circumstances and raise our eyes up to a higher place, it's going to redirect our hearts. It's going to shape our lives. We need to be those who worship in season and out of season when it's easy and when it's not. Uh, the church father, Tertullian, uh, and this is 160 AD, and I'm sharing some of these old guys with you because I want you to know the stuff I'm sharing is not just some new, fan, new fad of getting through stuff. This is stuff that for centuries the church has leaned into, and it's weathered the storms of life in all kinds of seasons throughout all of, all of church history. So Tertullian, about 160 AD, said about Paul and Silas and this, he said, their legs would feel nothing in the stocks when their heart was in heaven. And isn't that good? Like they didn't feel the pain of the legs because their heart was somewhere else. Their worship would fix their eyes in heaven. And because of that, it, it moved them out of their circumstances. Sometimes we need the practice of worship to get us out of the circumstances we find ourselves stuck in, just like they did. And suddenly what happens next in this when So you see that they're gonna, they kind of replace their worry with their worship. What happens next? This earthquake comes and it breaks all the, the, the prison up and they're free to go. And so they look at this prison guard and he's about to take his life because it's an honor shame culture. And in an honor shame culture, if you failed completely, uh, it's actually a crime punish, potentially punishable by death. But for him, he's like, man, I've lost my livelihood. I've lost everything that I am. And Paul intervenes. And don't you love this? Paul, in the middle of what had to be one of his dark days, his eyes are still looking for, with compassion on other people. He's not looking around. He didn't stand up and go, my rights have been justified right here. 
He's going to go around later and he's going to proclaim his innocence. He's not going to wallow or cower to them. But right here in the middle of this moment, he intervenes on the behalf of this jailer in order to work for his good. This is the man that probably put his feet in those stocks, right? So Paul could be bitter. Paul could be angry. Paul could, Paul could be distanced. Paul could be, be really frustrated towards this guy. But instead, Paul intervenes and saves this, this dude's life. They scream and they intervene and the jailer comes in and the jailer probably knew why they were there. He probably knew what they'd been punished for. He probably knew, had heard them singing. And so he just, he, he looks at this and goes, wow, it looks like there's a divine being at work here. And so he comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? But don't you love that? Their example, their testimony, the way they lived in the midst of their dark day drew him to ask a question about how he could be saved. And so they, they give him the core of the salvation message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. To believe in his authority and the work which he has done for you. And friends, maybe you're here today and you, you're like that jailer. Maybe you're, you're kind of in a place and you don't, you don't understand everything that's going on in the world right now. You don't understand what's happening. But there's something inside of you that just says, Man, I need a strength that can give me joy even when things are hard. I need a strength that's, I need, I need someone that's more stable and uh, more, uh, more trustworthy than, than even I myself am. And really what you're saying is, I need to be a worshiper of the true Lord. I need, to, I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Not just because it can give you a sense of joy, but because he deserves it. Because he made you. Because he's holy and righteous and good and forever and unchangeable and trustworthy in all things. To worship is to attribute worth to God. And, and to acknowledge that he is the sovereign ruler over all the universe and my life is ordered under him. And, and that is the only place where we truly find joy in the midst of hardship is to place our lives under him. And so this man does. And he acknowledges this and says that same hour of the night, he washed their wounds and then he was baptized. Didn't you love that? That the prisoner turned around and he went and washed their wounds. Think of the stripes on their back, that, that they'd been stripped, they'd been beaten. And he came and with, with compassion, now this prisoner washes their wounds and then they turn around and baptize him. Um, John Chrysostom, another old, old dude from a long time ago says, said of this passage, he says, he washed and was washed. He washed them of their stripes, but was himself washed from his sins. Do you love the picture that that gives? That this man was saved and he immediately ministers to them. Verse 34 says, he brought them up in his household and set food before them and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. It must be deep in the middle of the night when this happens, right? I mean, you think about all the things that have transpired. And yet one of my professors said, sometimes joy loses track of time as he was talking about this passage. And sometimes joy just so fills us that you're not checking your watch because you're just living in the moment because of the joy of what's going on. So here, Paul and Silas are invited to a house party of this man. Don't you love the way gospel faith makes those who might be enemies to be immediately joyful friends? That, that's the opportunity here. And I think that, that begs a question for me, for us. Friends, who, who in your life is like this jailer that God has positioned you to live in front of, that he might see and observe your joy, that he might see and observe your worship, that, that you might give testimony in a dark day of God's goodness to such an extent that he comes to you and says, what do, I, what do I need to do to get to know the God that you know? Because I think there's people in our lives that God wants to draw in this season. And I think we've got an opportunity to testify to God's goodness in the middle of, dark, of a dark time. 
I think it's important for us. Throughout this whole passage, though, what we see is that Paul and Silas face kind of one difficulty after another, don't they? I mean, there's just one thing after another that makes it hard for them to obey and hard for them to do everything that they're supposed to do and everything that they're called to do. And and yet they persevered through it all. And I think that gives us a picture of what Hebrews 13, 15 says when it says, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Can I just say many times you're not gonna feel like worshiping. Many times you're not gonna emotionally just walk in and be in the moment. There's weeks when that happens. And then there's weeks when you come in and go, man, this just feels like a little bit of like work today. Like I'm gonna have to kind of step into this space to to worship today because, uh, and that's why I think it says, learn to offer a sacrifice of worship. But sometimes we have have to come in and just acknowledge that. And, And can we just be honest? This is hard right now, isn't it? It's hard to come to church in a mask. It's hard to come to church and not just, dude, I'm a hugger. I'm a high fiver. Like, I, I want to come up and like grab you guys and give you a big old hug. I want to hit your kids on the head and have fun stuff, that, you know, high fives and stuff that we do. And we can't do all that stuff right now. And it just, it feels a little uncomfortable, isn't it? It just makes it difficult. And so I think there's, there's weeks right now where we're going to have to, uh, we're, we're going to have to lean into that space and just say, let me offer a sacrifice of praise. And there's a mandate coming down that we're going to have to wear masks. None of us, I don't know anyone that goes, dude, I love masking. Like, I don't know anyone that feels that way, but we, but we have to work through this one way or another. And so we've got to find a way to persevere. And in that, I think there are times where we need to come some Sundays and just say a prayer. And I was thinking about this, just, Lord, I don't feel like being here today. This doesn't feel right to me, but I love you and I'm going to offer you the next 60 minutes as a sacrifice of worship to you because you're worth it and I love you. And I think that's where we have to live in this season. I think that's gonna produce something good in us, but I think there's days when we're gonna come in and say, man, I'm gonna sacrifice the next hour in order to be able to worship you and honor you because you're the God of the universe and you're holy and sovereign and you plucked me out of my sin and you set me on a rock and you saved my soul and you're gonna redeem me and you're gonna deliver me forever. And so because you've done all that for me, I can do this for you, even though it may not be as comfortable as I want it. Friends, if we give in to a spirit of complaint and comparison, it's going to be impossible to have joy in worship. That's just the reality of it. If we approach this in our human strength and wisdom, it's going to be impossible for us to come in here and experience worship and joy that God wants to give us. That's why I think Jesus says we have to abide in him. We have to abide in his commandments. We have to abide in his love and allow that to nourish us so that we can obey and do the things we're called to do. We need simple faith and simple obedience, but we have to draw that life from Christ, not from our own strength and not from our own ability to navigate it. So friends, we're called to stay the course and not forsake the gathering of the saints. And so can I just encourage you in this season, I wanna call you just to a deep rhythm of staying connected to, to the church during this time. Whether that's in person or whether that's online, wherever it is you need to do that, there's gonna be weeks where you can't be here and there's weeks when maybe your health won't allow you to be here. There's things that are gonna be, I mean, it's gonna be maybe as hard as it's ever been for you to stay connected to the life of Jesus and to the life of his people. But can I just encourage you to be faithful during this time? Just if you're at home, if you can't watch on time, stay engaged, stay in, in, in community with us and with his people, but stay in touch with the things that are going on as much as possible. And I know it's not gonna be perfect. I know it's gonna be bothersome. And yet I also believe that God's gonna produce some really good stuff in us through this. So I think the, the real question for us is not, well, what will meet my need or what will meet my preference? I think 
I think the real question is, what will honor God? And what does the Lord ask of us? And what will please my Savior? This is really interesting. I was reading in my study this week about disciplines of of worship and disciplines of joy. And uh, to me, this was fascinating. A guy, long before we ever had the reality of even having to wear a mask to worship, listen to what he said about the, the distractions that sometimes take place in gathered worship, okay? And just think about our time. He says, absorb distractions with gratitude. If there's noise or, or distraction, rather than fussing and fuming about it, learn to take it in and conquer it. If little children are running about, bless them. Thank God that they're alive and they have energy. Be willing to relax with distractions. They may be a message from the Lord. Learn simply to receive whatever happens in gathered worship experience rather than feeling that distractions somehow deter you from worshiping God. And isn't that, isn't that helpful? That in the midst of all the distractions and all the stuff, just take that in as maybe God knows what he's doing and maybe he wants me to, to be able to see this. And I think during this season, there's a great opportunity for, for growth. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that God's trying to wean us off of the big experience and the emotional moments and teach us just to have a deep transformational presence with him. And so I think we have an amazing opportunity to, to, show, to demonstrate what obedience looks like in this time. And Richard Foster says this, he says, if worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. Holy obedience saves, uh, saves worship from becoming an opiate, an escape from the pressing needs of modern life. See, friends, worship is not an escape from the pressing needs of modern life. Worship is our path through the pressing needs of modern life. And so God meets us here when we, by faith, come and, and meet him in a place of worship. And in that, he transforms us. And what we see and what Jesus wants us to understand is that eventually leads us to a place of joy. That's the progression that he wants us to understand. Worship has this unique ability to recalibrate our hearts or redirect our course so that we can rest in him. We know what this is like in other areas of life, right? That sometimes we have to persevere in order to find joy. Like in childbirth, it's, it's a painful experience, but you press through literally in order to find joy, right? You, you start a novel and the first 100 pages may be rough, but you press through because you trust that the novel is going to be good in the end. We, we work as, in athletics and, and practice our sports, not because we start off serving really well as, as, a, as a child, but because you believe that through the effort of that, you're going to find a place of joy in, in, in the sport. And so we do this in all these arenas of life. I think it's true spiritually too, though. Sometimes we have to press through difficulty in order to to finally get to the place of joy. And it may not be until this time next year that we look back and we see what God is producing in us. It may not, it may not be for a year that we look back and, and we, but, but I just trust that someday we're gonna look back and we're gonna look at the season and we're gonna go, wow, look at the way God built, our, built my heart and my character and my faith as we walk through this together. And I just trust that that's gonna be the case. Um, you know, most of the time, God doesn't give us magical escape from hardship. Like most of the time he doesn't let us bypass it, he walks us through it. And so that's the way that we experience life, I think most of the time. And joy is not merely a happiness that comes from being pumped up with excitement. Joy is something that comes from obedience and fruitfulness and connection to Christ that's deeper than the moment by moment happiness we sometimes experience. So as we think about this, can I just ask you this question? Where are you today, friend? Are you, are you like the jailer who's maybe on the outside and you're listening to this and saying, I don't really know how to experience that, but I need to. 
I just encourage you, put your faith in the Lord Jesus and he'll be, he will save you. You can be saved by him and you can begin to experience and grow in these things. And for the rest of us, and let's not give in to the perseverance of the ain'ts. Let's persevere. Let's be resilient. Let's seek the Lord. Let's run after him, even in this season. Let's, let's not let something as small as this keep us from the God of the universe who sent his only son to die for us and sent his spirit to live in us and promises that we will be with him forever. And let's, let's run after him. Absolutely. John 4 says that the, Jesus tells us the hour is coming, is now here, when true worshipers will worship him, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. Friends, the Father is seeking people to worship him. Let's not let anything deter us from that. And let's also recognize there may be people in our world that are watching, and they need a Savior. And how we live in the midst of them may be the thing. That may be the thing that draws them, that, that, that finally pulls them in. So let's, let's seek him. Let me pray. Father, we, just, we ask that you would fill us with hearts that worship you, hearts that will not be deterred. Father, hearts that will not hold back whether we are behind prison bars or feet locked in stocks. Father, we would be those who seek you as you have sought us. Father, would you fill us with joy, a joy that lasts, joy that's deeper than, than circumstances. Father, would you save many in our city during this time? Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.